0: Another episode of the Doster and Deshaun and Fanta podcast now. Uh, it is Monday morning, June 14th. My name is Rob Doster. Of course, I'm joined by my co-host, John Fanta, and the one and only Deshaun Butler. Gentlemen, how are we doing?
1: Doing great. Hey, summer's underway. Uh, down the Jersey Shore right now. You know, I'm originally from Ohio, guys, but I feel like the, the longer the time goes on, I'm just becoming more and more jersey Uh, Taylor Ham on a Sunday, you know, uh, Sopranos red sauce on a Sunday evening and right into right into the week here down the shore. Beautiful weather. Uh, Look, it is great to be with you two, because what we're learning is this sport. If you didn't know already is a year round sport. That's that's a fact. College basketball is a year round sport. Um, Every day something's happening. So enjoying summer. Following some, some key things happening right now, all as well. Dave, what about you?
2: I mean, everything's great over here. I'm, I'm up here in West Virginia, just enjoying my, my uh, peace and quiet because the campus is very quiet at the, at the moment, summer. So just, you know, hanging out with the kids and watching a ton of basketball and just enjoying it, man. This is a great – summer's always awesome for me. I mean, I get to just watch good basketball and hang out with the family. I mean,
0: that's the best part about being in college basketball, right? Is that the time that you have off is basically April through November, which is the time where you don't want to be doing anything and you want to be outside enjoying life. And then when you have nothing else to do, you can park your ass in front of uh, the TV and be able to watch college basketball all night when it's 30 degrees out and raining and snowing. And when John Fanta's is out there uh, being our local neighborhood weatherman.
1: Or you could park your ass on the couch and watch Chris Paul at 36 years young do what he did on Sunday night in a closeout game. I mean, we're a college basketball people. We love hoops. Hats off. Nobody's won the last week more than Chris Paul, who was counted out, doubted, told no. You know, did it in college. Now's doing it professionally. Like he's an old school type of player who just keeps on doing it. And uh, that's the other nice thing is when we end our season in college hoops. We go right into the NBA playoffs, and uh, that's when the NBA, you know, that's when everything just heats up in the association. And, God, I got to tell you guys, it's fun right now. It's fun to watch CP3 do this. I love watching Donovan Mitchell on a nightly basis. Um, and and I think that the, the now the Nets-Bucks series is interesting. Like, it's kind of fun to me to see some new teams in the NBA uh, emerging in this postseason. I think, I think it's going to be a very interesting – kind of down the stretch it would be amazing like I'm rooting for P 3 to get to the finals and hoist that Larry O'Brien uh, trophy because nobody deserves that more than him I,
0: I want to put what he's doing into context and, and again look this is a college basketball podcast but the NBA is happening right now I watch it every single night I love the playoffs almost as much as I love the NCAA tournament Chris Paul Deron Williams right they were same draft picked, I think it was third and fourth, right? Right back to back next to each other. And for a while, they were two of the best point guards in the NBA. Deron Williams has not played in the NBA since 2017. It's been four years since he played in the league. He hasn't been at the peak of his powers since probably the 2012-2013 season. That year with Brooklyn, uh, he averaged 19 points and eight assists. And everything from there just kind of it ended up going downhill. He wasn't quite the same. Um, but it's been eight years since Deron Williams was at the peak of his powers. And Chris Paul, right now, in the year of our Lord, 2021, is averaging whatever he's averaging, leading a Phoenix Suns team with a bunch of young talent to, uh, what is it, the conference finals now, the Western Conference finals. Yeah. So uh, it just put that oh, into context. Wait. It's incredible. Go ahead, Day.
2: I was saying off of a sweep. Like, mm-hmm. I, I've watched like a lot of people talk about Chris Paul this year, and, and it came out, I, I remember watching one of those, like, is he like a top five point guard of all time or top 10 point guard at time? And I'm just, I am literally shocked that some of the, the comparisons that Chris Paul has gotten as far as his, his in, in his total career of him not being like a top of all, like an all time point guard. Like Chris Paul has not been blessed with like, you know, a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Chris Paul did not get blessed with a Carl Malone. Chris Paul didn't get blessed with any of these great, players on his team he's had a good he's been on good teams but he hasn't been on great teams so to see people like you know not give Chris Paul the respect he deserves as far as all time like I mean he's not Magic Johnson of course but like Chris Paul isn't is I would say in my opinion like a top six all-time point guard like it's hard to like he is nothing he can't do on any part of the floor, and now even out at his old age, like he's still doing things very effectively, still leading and managing teams very effectively. He's resurrected at least like six set or seven franchises in his time in the NBA, which no one really does. And I mean, he's the only him and Devin Booker are probably the only guys to beat LeBron first round. I mean, I kind of feel like Chris Paul might be like one of the best players to have to ever have graced the NBA, in my opinion. But that's. I feel bad that Chris Paul doesn't get his flowers like me and Fanta give him (laughs) all the time. (laughs) He deserves it.
1: I I tell you what, that is a great point. You just don't knock LeBron James out in the first round. I don't care if if they have a championship hangover, if they got injuries, if they got this, that, and the third. They knock LeBron James out in the first round of the postseason. And and anybody who's arguing about LeBron's legacy or what, get the hell out of here. He was lifted a trophy nine months ago. Shut up. Shut up. (laughs) I'm going to tell you right now on Monday, June 14th, 2021, go ahead, take it to the bank. I, I won't pay your losses, but uh, figuratively, I said my best. I believe that the Phoenix suns will win the NBA championship. I'm calling it right now. I think they're going to hoist it. I think this is the most complete team left in the playoffs that, that gets compounded with Brooklyn being a, a, a hospital right now. The Nets, you know, being a, a mass unit. And now Kevin Durant, I mean, this is a fascinating time for him. How does he handle this? Do we see the alpha come out of KD and he's not going to let the Nets lose? We'll see. But I think the Suns are the best team in the league. And I think that Chris Paul has made them that. Phoenix had all the young pieces. They've got a star in Booker. Aiden's a terrific big man. Mikhail Bridges is, mm-hmm. he does all the intangibles, has the frame. I think he's a bigger key than we even know. Uh, similar to what he was on the 2018 Villanova national title team, this son's team, Chris Paul is so comfortable with Phoenix and Phoenix is so comfortable with Chris Paul. At the end of the day, it's a point guards game. He is that guy. They've got everything around him. The Phoenix Suns are going to be the NBA champions.
0: Well, I, and I think that he needs that too. You know, that you're talking about his legacy and how people view him and it kind of it's a perfect example of the priority that we as sports fans put on having to win an NBA championship or having to win a Super Bowl or having to win a national title or a Premier League title, or whatever it is. We don't value what you accomplish if you're not winning a championship, right? Like what Chris Paul has done throughout his entire career is, is unbelievable. It's incredible. But he also has had some of the worst luck when it comes to injuries. Like how many times did Blake Griffin's knee just happen to blow up in the middle of the playoffs, right? Um, it looked like it was going to happen this year when Chris Paul injured his shoulder when, when it looked like they were, um, you know, going to have a chance to, to really make a run at this thing. And I, I hope for his legacy that he can make a run. So even if he doesn't win it, just make a run to the finals. Like go to game seven of, of the con, whatever it is, do something to really prove like what you can be. But it, it really does kind of put into stark contrast how much we value that. It's the same thing with like a Russell Westbrook. Like how how special is that dude as a basketball player, as an athlete, no one can do the things that he can do. Okay, so maybe he's not designed to be able to win in the playoff times. Maybe he's not designed to be able to have that level of um, usage on on a team just because when you can't shoot, maybe when he's 32, 33, as old as he is now, it changes things. But being able to put up the numbers that he does and and do what he does on a basketball court, at some point we can just celebrate that even if it doesn't lead to
2: a title, right? No, I agree for sure. I mean- Winning the championship, obviously, is the goal for all of these teams. and But we also can't negate some of the things you see people doing. Like, what Chris Paul has done has been nothing short of phenomenal throughout his NBA career. Like, it's shocking. Like, I kind of look at him. Like, he manages the game, like you would say, like LeBron would. I mean, Chris Paul's been doing it a a little bit longer. But, like, he manages the game well. He can score the ball from three. He can score mid-range. He made five shots in a row in the same spot the last game it was i was just wondering what they were doing he would just come off the ball screen and just get to the right hat like the right second hash mark and it was just floating knocking down jump shots he he has that he can get to the basket Hardworking defender great manager of the game great leader i mean obviously some guys may not like him as a teammate all the time but i mean If you give Jordan that pass, then Chris Paul deserves the same pass. So, like, what are we talking about? Like, Chris Paul is a better shooter than some of the greatest point guards of all time. He's a better passer than some of the greatest point guards of all time. Like, as he entire like his entirety of his game, I can literally hold Chris Paul up to probably like 98% of NBA players of all time. And he will, he should, he's skill wise in all of it. He's just as good, if not better.
1: First ballot Hall of Famer, no question. But you know what? As you're bringing this up, bring this back to college basketball, and we talk about Chris Paul validating, you know, and and it doesn't. His career doesn't even need any more validation. But the championship would be the cherry on top and the, the most important of them all. The state of college basketball is this: the sport has just lost eight national championships and 21 Final Four appearances combined in in Coach K and Roy Williams. And now we're in this realm of who steps up, who replaces these guys? Because to us three, and you might disagree, but I highly doubt that you guys would disagree because I, I know both of you well, and I know you're smarter than, than the, some of the hot take artists in the world. Mark Few is an elite coach. But to the casual follower, the immediate thing that pops in their brain is well, Mark Few's never climbed the mountain. Mark Few has to win the national championship for me to, for me to even think about that. And so that's why I think it, it brings it back to the college game as we're talking about this, you know, we live in a world where you have to hoist the trophy. It's just how it goes. And when you lose two guys, coach K and Roy Williams don't become what they have been without championships you know at the end of the day what sells everything wins wins and you've got some coaches that can step up uh, but your personality is only as good at the end of the day for how much you've won there's a lot of personality still in the game of college basketball but the wins don't reflect it To the degree that we have right now in losing Coach K and Roy Williams, which is why as we turn the page to back to the sport that we primarily cover, like that's why this is a really, really kind of an uncertain time. Not a time of doubt, but a time of, okay, how does the sport move on like it has so many times before? I
0: think the biggest thing that we're going to run into, and you're exactly right about the credit people get for winning national titles. And and now that you mentioned it, I think that Mark few compared to Chris Paul, like it's, I like it. I see, I see what you're doing there. Um, but for me, what we're missing with those two going to college basketball are, are the people that will attract attention regardless of what, what else is going on in the, in, in, in the sporting world, right? Like coach K when he says something, everybody is always going to be, Reacting to it, paying attention to it, talking about it, whatever. Same thing with Roy Williams. In college sports, when you only have the best players for typically one year while they're great, then the people that stand the test of time, the people that become the institutions are not the athletes. It's the coaches. It's the face of the program. It's the Nick Sabans. It's the Coach K's. It's the guys at that level. And I think that you can make the argument that Roy Williams and Coach K are the two biggest quote unquote brands in college basketball and not having those presences on the sideline is going to be something that I think hurts the level of attention that college basketball will get. Now, when you combine that with everything else that's going on in the sport from the NIL stuff that is happening from the transfer portal from the number of players that are leaving school to go play pro not necessarily in the nba not necessarily to be a first round pick but if they can get a six-figure deal playing overseas if they can get a spot on a two-way contract right when you combine all of those things together i do think that we're at a point where college basketball is at something of a crossroads in the sense that there's no there's no continuity right there's no, you don't know who the best players are. There's always going to be great stories that pop up. But I think one of the biggest things that we run into in the sport overall is that you you don't have these kind of characters that will bring people in year after year, after year, after year. And uh, you know, losing coach K and Roy Williams, I think is only certainly not going to help. So my question is this, who fills that void, right? Is it someone like a, maybe a Bill Self? Is it someone like a Mark few? Is it coach Cal? Is it, Bob Huggins, your guy down there on West Virginia day. I'm not really sure, but somebody has to step up and take that void and take the reins and be able to say what needs to be said without worrying about the repercussions like who right now is bigger than the
2: game in college basketball. Once coach K is gone. I don't know. Hmm. Honestly, when you, when you put it in those scenarios, I mean, I, I agree. Uh, uh, There's been many a time where coach K may have, have something to say, even if people don't agree whatever the case may be. When he talks, tons of people do listen. So I won't, I won't disagree with you on that, that, that presence will be will be missed for sure between him, Roy Williams, especially. But as far as basketball goes, I mean, this isn't the first time this has happened and it won't be the last. And I kind of feel like basketball will be in great hands with the coaches that you just named. I mean, bruce pearl tubby like there's tons of guys that are still out here who have won tons and tons of games have have the uh the history to back that up as well uh have, have one have won in the past possibly uh you just brought up mark few mark few's like what he's 80 like an 80 percent winning like he has an 80 percent winning percentage like that's insane <laughs> like, like him um freaking it's rick barnes is still around uh Again, like his name, Bill Self, Bruce Pearl, uh Kelvin Sampson just came off of a final four. Like there are great coaches still around. So the void has an opportunity to, has an opportunity to be filled. Yeah, it's, but it's I, not- my, my big thing with it, and I don't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. But the big thing with it is,
0: is who are the guys that are not going to be afraid to say what needs to be said? Like Jim Beheim is one of those guys where he's not afraid to go out there and say what needs to be said. I was, we had we had this conversation with um, we've been doing another series called candid coaches conversations. And in we, we, the most recent one we did was on HBCU programs, the problems that some coaches that, that started HBCUs have getting out of the HBCU realm and moving up the coaching ranks. And one of the things that was brought up during that conversation was the lack of the, the BCA, the black coaches association. And the reason why that thing is kind of fallen by the wayside is that nolan richardson isn't coaching anymore big john thompson isn't coaching anymore a lot of those really john cheney's not coaching anymore like a lot of those really powerful voices are no longer in college basketball so you don't have them pushing the 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 agendas that need to get pushed so to speak if that makes yeah, sense it's true but and, and, and i think that coach k is the, like he's kind of been at the forefront of, of getting nil stuff pushed through like he's he's he hasn't been afraid to speak his mind on those things because he knows he's bigger than the game and it doesn't, there's, there's no uh, concern of repercussion right now. I think coach Cal might be a guy to kind of take the reins on that. Um, But coach Cal, I think is also the perfect guy to step up and be like the college basketball villain that is replacing coach K with him gone. Right. So Fanta, I know you got something to say, so I'm going to stop rambling. Go ahead.
1: Well, here's my thing on on this. So I actually think when I said earlier that it's an uncertain time, it's an uncertain time nationally. And what I mean by that is when the national network covers college basketball, they lead with what they have always seen as what would draw everyone else. You're not going to be able to do that to the same level now with Duke and North. You can't just hinge on Duke and North Carolina. Like last year when someone was calling it the biggest Duke-North Carolina game ever because it was going to decide who was going to go in the tournament. Come on, stop. (laughs) Basically, the sport has faces. The sport has people that are ready to be in this role. In fact, it's not Duke-Carolina. It's not big-name brands. But I would argue that we are stepping into a realm where, again, is it sexy? I'm not saying it's sexy, guys. But I do believe that Baylor is here to stay and is going to be a national championship contender as long as Scott Drew is doing his thing. And Scott Drew's story is interesting. He's not going to be a villain because he's, he's really turned everything around, and he's a genuinely nice guy. Mark Few was just in front of Congress last week. He's not afraid to say things. But his team plays at 11 o'clock at night, and they play in the West Coast Conference. That hurts Mark Few and Gonzaga. Whether we like it or not, that's just the reality of the situation. Jay Wright is known as the good guy in college basketball. I I don't believe he's looked at as a a villain at all, because he coaches a small Catholic school just outside of Philadelphia. I will say this. I have some villain candidates. But in terms of faces of the sport, Jay Wright is 59 years old. He has won two of the last five national championships. And I expect Villanova to be in a final four in New Orleans next April. I really believe that with Gillespie back and Samuels, mm-hmm. uh, I think that this team is going to be primed to have a successful year with the freshman class they have coming in. If he gets a third, and I think he's 59, I think he's, he's going to get a third here At some point, if it comes sooner than later, you know, we, you just don't win three national championships in a decade. No. And I think Baylor, I don't think Baylor's done yet either. So I think the sports in a place for some faces of success of consistency to emerge, but that doesn't have the same ring as coach K and Roy Williams. So we have to get used to saying Baylor, Baylor, Baylor. Illinois, you know it doesn't draw the same eyes and it's not the same exact alumni bases but I, I think for college basketball we watched Duke you know if you were if you were a casual sports viewer and you stopped on a game of Cameron Indoor you were waiting for the next shot of Mike Shashesky and you said I'm interested I'm pulled in so where the sport does it, it, the same can be said of Syracuse nowadays when when, when you when you see a Syracuse game on your TV, you want to see what's going on. You know, Beheim's a, a really polarizing figure. Some of, the, some of the guys I just listed, Scott Drew, Few, Jay Wright, they don't carry the same, but gosh, one of those three is going to be in the final four for the next five to 10 years. You know, that's just how it is. So we kind of have to change the way that we talk about the sport, understanding that the sport is ever-changing. And that you can't get too attached to a player because they could be here today on one team and gone tomorrow on the next. And, and the sport, the sport will survive. I hate when people threaten it, do that. It's, it's it's just not true. It's just the way that we talk about college basketball has to change and people don't like change. It gets them all kind of curl up, but I could tell you right now, the blue blood has evolved. I will take Villanova Baylor, Gonzaga and I'll pick Michigan because recently they've been terrific. I'll take those four right now. Right now over Duke, Carolina, Kansas, and Kentucky.
0: Going out on a limb there, fantastic. I like it. So Dave, uh, let me let me let me segue this real quick and, and to, to kind of see this conversation moving forward, right? The Duke brand, right? How how does that survive the change with Coach K? Because the, the comparison that I keep making in my head is Indiana, right? Indiana under Bob Knight was this absolute powerhouse. They won three national titles. They were the best program in the Big Ten. This, that, and third. We all know the story. Since Bob Knight's been gone, they've gone through five or six coaches. They've never gotten back to that level. They had some time where they were the worst program in the Big Ten. They fired a guy that won two uh, regular season titles in the course of four years. They're always chasing to get back to what Bob Knight was when maybe that's a little bit harder to do than people realize. Duke is now replacing maybe the greatest coach to ever do it with a 33-year-old assistant that is young enough that I covered the game when he won the national title of the 2010 Final Four. So...
2: I guess he was good.
0: He was good. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I shouldn't... I My bad. I shouldn't have mentioned that one. Anyway, <laughs>
2: how,
0: how does Duke move forward here? And can Duke still be Duke in the John Shire era? Yeah,
2: I mean... The thing that, the thing about this coaching change is that, I mean, it it not, it doesn't happen every year, but it happens. And if people just don't, if Duke doesn't just get obsessed with the coach K way of doing things and just lets John Shire be John Shire and, do, and hopefully doesn't just, you know, fire and then look for the next coach A and fire and, and do the things that you just mentioned Indiana doing. I feel like Duke would be fine. I mean, it's like basketball is changing it you're you're gonna you're gonna have these guys are gonna these guys are gonna be the faces sooner or later so in due time like nato and all these other guys these are newer guys who are in in front of everybody they're not new coaches but they're newer guys that were in front of people and people are gonna like these guys and these guys are gonna win games over years and they're gonna get their opportunity to win national championships duke just needs to weather the storm and just trust the process and not be in a rush to Oh, get this coach or get this new guy or oh, let's find let's find this coach that did it before and all these things. Just find your guy, ride with your guy because that's what they did with Coach K initially.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Find your guy and then ride with your guy, and you take this guy from the army, and all of a sudden now you have uh, all this great stuff happening there just because you know you were you were you know loyal to your guy. So hopefully they stick to those those uh those things.
0: Yeah, that's just it's. I like John, right? I like him a lot. I think that he's a very sharp guy. I think that there is a realistic world where he ends up keeping Duke at the same level. At the same time, your first head coaching gig is taking over as one of the greatest coaches to ever do it. Your first head coaching gig as a 34-year-old is to try to replace a guy that, that bare minimum, right? If, let's just call Coach K a top five coach of all time. If John Shire does not end up being a top five coach of all time, then he is a step down from the guy that he's replacing. Like that's, that is just a nightmare scenario to walk into on your first job. And there's no way he can say, he can turn it down, right? And he very well might end up being a great, great coach that can bring national titles back to Duke. But that's just, that's so much pressure to walk into. Like, I I just, I don't know how you, I don't know. It's
2: hard. That's all I'm saying is it's hard. Like, I I hope that they give him some leeway, man. Do you try to fill those shoes though? No, like, it's not possible. I, I kind of feel like I would never even attempt to like, why try to fill those shoes? Like, for example, you think of coach K, what he has, how many wins total? A thousand something more than yeah. anybody else is going to get. Exactly. And then with that, and that thought process, I remember when Lon Kruger retired and I was just sitting there like, you know, he, he didn't even get to like close to a thousand. Like, no, it doesn't matter. Like Lon Kruger is a great coach who who retired and it was one of the greatest coaches to ever coach. Like when John's done, if John does everything the right way, obviously, and does does things the way he's supposed to, it doesn't matter if you can't touch Coach K. You're still a great coach. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like if you if you if they won a national championship and never won another one with John as the head coach, I mean John's still not Coach K, but he but he's still a great coach that won had a chance to win a national championship. So, I mean, I kind of feel like guys, any coach, like you shouldn't be out here trying to fill anyone's shoes. Like you should. no two no two paths are the same
0: yeah it's just the level of expectation that gets put on you when you're the head coach at duke there's and he has no control over that but duke fans expect you to be competing for national titles right there's media members that expect duke to be competing for national titles if duke ends up being a team that every year goes 24 and 10 and makes it to the sweet 16 right they're a really good program is that going to be something that that the Duke fan base and the Duke donors and the Duke alums and the people that write about the sport and people like me and you and Fanta, is that going to be something where we say, okay, he's doing the job that that is expected at Duke. And like, I, that's no fault of his own, but that uh, that's something that could very well happen in this environment. Go ahead. Fanta. I see.
1: I I love, I love this
0: video right now because I could see Fanta's reaction. I just he's got something to say. So go ahead, John. I'm just saying Duke hasn't gone to a final
1: four since 2015. Mm Mm-hmm. As we head into next year, that's the longest gap without a Final Four appearance for this program. And Coach K's there. Since the late 1970s, late 1970s, all good things must come to an end. Mike Krzyzewski has done it all. There's nothing more that he could have done. He's in his mid-70s. When you make a change, you're absolutely right, Rob the Duke expectation level for their head coach is unrealistic to achieve. Yes. You have to do it your own way. If I'm John Shire, I call Jawan Howard. I talk to him for an hour. And I talk to him about stepping into Michigan, host John Beeline, who, John Beeline, this is not, I am not comparing Duke and Michigan. I, I promise you I'm not, but I'm, I'm using another case to give a taste of what it's like, in my opinion. John Beeline, guys, made it really, really hard to replace him at Michigan. Because we're talking about the Wolverines, what Beeline was doing before he departed for the Cleveland Cavaliers. They were winning at an incredible rate. And the Juwan Howard hire was a feel-good hire, but the thought in mind was, is this going to work out? Well, I think Juwan Howard's gone about things his way. He's gone by his own beat. His team plays like an NBA team when I watch them play, and he conducts himself like an NBA coach. And it works. It's, it's worked out quite well in Ann Arbor. John Shire cannot live in the shadow of his coach. He can't do it. You, you cannot do it. Um I think it's really hard to achieve. And, and I think that John Shire has what it takes to be a head coach. But if he is constantly hinging on the Duke way, the Krzyzewski way, you can both respect that way and try to take on the spin that you'd like to make on the program. Because here's the fact. The way that Duke had been doing things is no longer the way that you rise above everyone else in college basketball. So it's going to take some changes. It's going to take Duke potentially recruiting some players that Mike Sheshewski wasn't willing to recruit and develop. Talent development in this sport and keeping a relationship with a kid has never been more important. You look at the programs that are at the top of college basketball – You look at what Mick Cronin did in building relationships with kids that he did not recruit. He kept them by his side and look what happened to the Bruins. Look what happened um, to Baylor, to Gonzaga, to these other programs that have been at the top of the sport. You have to think outside the box. The sport is changing. Duke has to change. You can't just be the same old Duke Blue Devils. Like the Yankees can't just be the same Yankees. And Yankee fans know all too well right now the feeling. You can't just rely on what you were doing for 30 years and say, this is our formula. At some point, you're going to get beat if you if you stay at this level. And when you're a coach in your mid-70s and you've been doing it all your life, I totally get Mike Krzyzewski, who was always willing to say the right thing. But the fact is, guys... The last couple of years, it felt like the Duke was losing games that it hadn't been losing when Coach K was at peak Coach K. So for me, I, I don't think the timing is bad. However, I do think that both Duke and Carolina, they left themselves limited. Like, you, you pick these replacements. I think both guys are capable. Um, I, I, my biggest question is, I'm actually toying with this question. Who has a better chance of, of having championship success at respective school? Hubert Davis at North Carolina or John Shire at Duke? I'd probably vote Hubert Davis at North Carolina if you asked me today. That answer could change, but that would be my vote. But I'd be curious to see who would win that poll.
2: That is, a good question.
0: That is tough. I think um, I would probably lean uh, Shire there, but it's very much – we're, we're, we're very much trying to figure out what both of those guys are at this point, right? Here, here's my question. And I brought it up a little bit earlier and I want you guys to take on this. Coach K was the villain in college basketball, right? The same way that LeBron is the villain in the NBA and, and the same way that, that, you know, Tom Brady is the villain in uh, in the NFL, you either love him or you hate him. Same way the Yankees are the villain in major league baseball, right? So I want to know who you guys think is going to step up and fill that role of the villain in college hoops with Coach K gone, because I do believe that having someone that everybody can root against, right? Having just that that universal figure that you either love or you hate, it, it's important. Like the NFL is better when the Cowboys are good and we can argue about whether or not they are actually good, right? I mean, you can argue with Cowboy fans. Major League Baseball is better when the Yankees are good and we have people that hate the Yankees or love the Yankees. You can say the same thing about the Red Sox. When both those teams are great and you have an entire nation that hates everybody in the Northeast that's a baseball fan, while they happen to be two of like the five best teams, like that's a good thing for the sport. So I want to know, I gave you a homework assignment. Who are your potential villains? I have, I have three written down that I think can step up and fill that void.
2: Please enlighten me on your three. I would love to hear.
0: You go first. Fanny, you got a list? You want me to go first?
1: Sure, I'll go first. I'd be happy to go first. I'll step out on the limb. There go. I have three. Um, so I'm going to start with a very brief, I think this is good for. I think Coach K and Roy Williams retiring is good for the Pac-12. The Pac-12 clearly has a door reopening in the sport. With that being said, there is no question in my mind that Mick Cronin can be a villain in college basketball again. Feel good story this past year because they were an underdog. UCLA and underdog, those don't mesh. I want UCLA to be good again, like really good, because Mick Cronin, when he's really good, Mick Cronin is a good guy. Like, I I like him personally, and I've had him on shows. He's a great interview. But Mick Cronin can stick it to people, and I like that. I like that about Mick Cronin. I want you to stick it to him. So Mick Cronin would be one for me because UCLA is a big brand. They're in L.A., I think he could cause some some stirring of the pot if they schedule right. And if the next Pac-12 commissioner finds some ABC windows and some popular television windows to get UCLA basketball kind of in the forefront of the sport again, we need that Pac-12 Saturday afternoon showcase to return to broadcast television to get people talking a little bit more about Pac-12 basketball. That's one thing to learn. Mick Cronin would be one for me. I got to well, say. Let's, let's,
0: rotate, let's, let's rotate. Let's rotate. Let's rotate. there Because Mick Cronin was one of mine which is perfect because he's he's such an angry little dude right but like uc life fans are going to love him you mentioned he's a good interview he's a great interview he understands like how to be a presence on camera he's got some charisma to him even though it doesn't really look like he's a guy that's that's meant for charisma and like i I don't know how much you guys listen to uh to to the parish and norlander podcast what is the eye on college basketball or like titus and tate but both of those pods love mick cronin like they have running jokes about mick cronin like the greatest coach whatever at ucla so at some point people are going to get sick of that the tide's going to turn especially if they end up being as good as they should be next season and you mentioned he can stick it to people do you remember when he almost got in a fight with jp mccura right do you remember when he came out in the press conference after the xavier cincinnati brawl we need he like he's, he's perfect for the villain which leads into my my next one right the other guy that that media loves right who the media loves this guy more than just about anybody else but he also one coaches out of blue blood two has some ncaa issues in the past a lot of people think that he's a cheater and three there are certain question marks about his hair the same way that nobody believes that coach k actually has jet black hair at this age and that is the one and only bill self of the kansas jayhawks he is perfectly suited to become a villain in the sport Media love him. I love him. He's a great guy, right? But if Kansas can get back, if they can get past this whole investigation, right? And he doesn't get fired and the the program doesn't get torpedoed. He has a chance to be something uh, where everybody hates him. Media loves him. Everybody hates him. So I think Bill Self is is the obvious number two on this list. Day, where are you at?
2: He was my third pick. Um, I agree with you. Like when I was in a young kid, one watching Kansas and I, I I used to hate watching Kansas because of Bill So he would sit there with a smug smirk uh, like smirk on his face when they'd be winning games. I used to uh Bill Self was a, a big uh problem for me growing up. My pick, uh this is gonna be pretty funny. The perfect bad guy is Rick Bettina <laughs> 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 the perfect one. Uh I think next year I think people were pretty upset that he made it to the NCAA tournament with Iona. I I knew people from up, up, up North that were not pretty, like they weren't happy about Rick Bettino back in America in the limelight, suited up, hair slicked back, talking, getting in his players' faces, talking crap. Like people do not like Rick Bettino as much as they used to. I think Rick Bettino, if he can schedule some games and, he, and he's still at Iona schedule some games and get his guys ready for next year. I can I can see Rick Patino taking some people off. That he's uh, he's still around when Coach K and, and Roy Williams aren't.
0: You know what we really needed? We needed Rick Pitino to go get the BC job. Is what we needed. He was going to needed him to take BC to do the same thing that he did with BC that he did with Providence back in the eighties. That's what we needed. It didn't happen, but I, like Rick was <laughs> one of the guys that I was thinking about. But the like he's just it's
2: Iona man. Like if he can't get out of Iona you can't get him out of. He can't be the bad guy Iona. They might not they might not take We him. we
0: just we just disrespected it. NYC's finest over here. Fanta is not happy about us disrespecting Iona.
2: Oh. Come on. You
1: can. <laughs> Here's the thing with Rick. So I think that Rick Patino, it's kind of like the WWE t- type of thing when they they are a villain for so long that WWE fans get so tired of it, so they start rooting for the villain yeah. to like do good things. Kurt Angle. So I actually think people are like people are with slick rick so like they've they've, they're like you know what this guy's in his old age he's still winning uh we can't paint him out to be the 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 demon and hey there's a lot of people who on the flip side are like yeah rick patino got away with everything and now he's back in college basketball he stuck it back to him i want to root for that so i just thought of one though and i think he's again really 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 good guy you can both be a really 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 good guy and a villain OK, like you because you could be respected and liked by a certain crowd of people. There's also a certain crowd of people that could take issue with you. If Eric Musselman keeps leaping on tables after NCAA tournament wins, there is a chance that some people really start to not like that. And not just some people. I'm waiting for must Bus to win a big tournament game. Go crazy, which I love. I love it. We love it. But I'm waiting for a, an opposing coach after the game to be like, I mean, act like you've been there before. I don't even understand what that is. Like, what is that behavior? We need that. Like, I would love that because I think Arkansas is just getting started. Like I'm, I'm buying the must I think he's going to win a lot. He's a winner, but I also think that he rubs some other coaches the wrong way. Oh um, yeah,
0: Look at the, the turnover in his staff. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if you go back and look at his staff, it turns over almost every single year. And it's because he can be um, kind of, I'm trying to think of how to say this politically correct. Right. I'm a little bit, a little bit, a little bit intense. Yeah. Intense. Uh, but he also nobody, no coach in college basketball, aside from maybe Lavelle Moten understands how to use social media better than Muss. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't run his own accounts. I I, I I don't think he's actually the one out there like posting the tweets that he sends, but he understands how to play that foil and how to kind of troll people online. And if someone's coming, like if you go at Mus on Twitter, there will be a tweet from the Eric Musselman account, the official one coming right back at you at some point. So I love that. I didn't even think of that, Fanta. I love that call.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: All right. I got another one from the SEC. You I know where you're me? going. With this. I, yeah, know that. The, I got what, it. It's Will Wade.
1: Well, yeah, Will will,
0: will Wade. There's, there, <laughs> there's two in the sec that, well, coach, we already mentioned coach Cal, right? So I, I yes, look, you're the head coach of Kentucky. Uh, you've won national titles. You change the one and done stuff. You say whatever you want. You're great in press conferences, but you know how to piss people off. Yes. Coach Cal obviously is the obvious pick. Um will Wade, I think with how much he has been linked to cheating, right? I don't want to say how much he cheats, but how much he's been linked to cheating since he's been at LSU. Uh, the whole strong-ass offer deal. Um, the only problem with him is, like, it's LSU,
2: mm-hmm. right?
0: Like, I don't know if that's a big enough brand for him to really kind of ascend to that level. And there's no way, like, he's not getting hired for a bigger job at any point, right? So I kind of think it's he's going to be at LSU until uh, he ends up getting fired, making $3 million a year, and, and that's kind of what it is. But I just don't know if he's at a big enough program to really be that guy. But, yes, Coach Cal is a guy from the SEC. If it's going to be someone, it's probably going to end up being him. Day, where are you at? Oh, he's on mute. Oh, he's on mute. Aren't we? Past I was going to play. Right my bad. I'm,
2: I'm, I'm, leave, I'm leaving that
0: in. We are 16 months into a Zoom only pandemic, and Deshaun Butler is still messing up on the calls. What is going on over here, man? I, I wanted to make
2: sure you didn't get my squeaking in while you were talking. <laughs> 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 no, I was going to say, uh, as a judge, I was like, I'm going to pick Jerry Stackhouse. The reason I'm picking Jerry Stackhouse as a villain was mainly because a lot of people weren't happy that former players were getting these jobs. And now that these former players are getting these head coaching jobs and they're are in the forefront in high top power five schools. Like someone like Jerry Stackhouse, who obviously had his his small issue last year with uh one of his players publicly. I mean, and a lot of coaches, and I'm talking about a lot of coaches. I people I know were, they were like, yeah, maybe, you know, Jerry should have not said that and and kept his mouth quiet and they weren't too happy about the way that that he carried himself. So I would say, you know, Jerry Stackhouse could probably be seen as a villain this, this uh, upcoming season, if he was able to win enough.
1: Yeah. And that's a big thing. If he's able to win enough. So my, my, if he's able to win enough villain would be a coach who would be regarded as a villain no matter who he is because the fan base of this school likes to stick it to everyone else. And now with them being back in the conference that they belong in, the Big East, I would go with UConn and Dan Hurley. Dan Hurley, you know, a personal friend, good guy, family man. But here's the thing, he coaches at UConn and he has a fiery personality. And guess what, guys? UConn's not going anywhere in terms of they're going to be a top three Big East program for the for the foreseeable future because they can recruit. They've got the resources. They they have an edge on other Big East schools that's just going to carry them right near the top of, of the Big East. Uh, last year ended in disappointing fashion. It did. But Hurley has this charisma and it's kind of waiting to get unleashed in the NCAA tournament, UConn is going to be good. He's going to win enough, I think, to potentially get to that national exposure of, God, this, you know, when you're watching UConn, if they go on a Sweet 16 run, you're going to see Hurley going crazy on the sidelines. And that, that might rub people like a little bit of a weird way. But the thing is, UConn fans love, love to take the, Take that that uh, stick and put it in the fire to make sure that they're getting under you. They do it in women's basketball all the time. Like, they literally, the Kim Mulkey stuff with the mask and she was arguing about not, not, not really. giving the team's COVID tests in the women's final four. UConn fans just kept on playing that quote, playing that quote, playing that quote on the women's side uh, for, like, two weeks to show that, like, you know, Gino is better than Kim Mulkey. Like, they love, they love to do that. I could see them doing some similar things. They did it with Calhoun all the time. Like Jim Calhoun was hated by, by some people. We, I love Jim Calhoun. I love that. Did you see, did y'all see Jim Calhoun's quote about coach K in the process of, of honoring coach K Calhoun made it known that, Oh yeah. You know, he means a lot to me because you know, I beat him. Like, like that is no what,
0: what th- so let's because let, th- this was great this, this was like th- this really sums up the UConn fan base perfectly what he basically said was yeah I owe a lot to coach K because when we <laughs> when we beat Duke in 1999 to win national title that really put us on the map and we only grew more when we beat Duke in the 2004 final four when everyone thought that they were the favorites and we came back and then we won our second national title so our programs are really tied together because they beat us once with Leitner but then we beat them twice to win national titles so they really helped us grow he means a lot to i
1: mean it's just like yes only he could get away with that
0: yes <laughs> only only calhoun could but you're you're right you're right about hurley there's nothing funnier than when hurley you know he's like just livid but he's trying to suppress all of that anger and you could just see it like you see smoke coming out of his ears but he's just sitting there stewing. and he's got this face like this and he's making all these weird like contortions with his face it's just and he's got like the thick glasses on to, it's just yeah there he he's he would be very good at being uh being being a troll, along those same lines, the one other guy I had on my list was Tom Izzo, for a lot of the same reasons that that Bill Self is on that list. He's at a, a a blue blood or a power program, however you want to phrase it. He's a guy that the media loves and adores. He's not afraid to say what he needs to say, and he can also be someone that can strike a bit of controversy. Right? How many times have we seen him uh, end up being a topic on like first take or whatever because he yelled at a guy when he came to the bench? because he's still a fiery coach. He's still coaches intense. He's still, he's not afraid to scream at you. So I think that he could definitely step into that role and that void if he wants it. And if Michigan state
2: uh, can get back to that level that they're expected to be at, you guys got anyone else? No, I'm good. I, I, I'm, I could not top you guys with the names you were throwing out here. <laughs> like I'm, I am I haven't like Danny Hurley's nuts and I, I have no one that can beat Danny Hurley. So <laughs> All right, so uh, I want to close the podcast with this.
0: Um, A lot has happened over the course of the last uh, two or three months in terms of roster changes and roster moves and people declaring for the draft and deciding that they're coming back. But I wanted to go through what were maybe like the five or six most important and most influential decisions that are left to be made. And I want to start with one that just happened this week where reports came out that Jalen Duran, it's not official yet, but reports have come out that Jalen Duren is strongly considering reclassifying into the class of 2021. Uh, for people that don't know who he is, he's kind of surpassed Amani Bates as the favorite to be the number one player in, in the class of 2022. He's a six foot 10 athletic specimen that plays the four really good passer has a lot of, uh, I guess Bam Adebayo is the guy that a lot of people are comparing him to in terms of his athleticism, his defensive versatility, his rim protection, the fact that he's actually a really good passer, uh, the jump shot not really being there. But if he could end up um, getting into the class of 2021, getting eligible to play in the class of 2021, you're talking about a guy that has a very real chance to be a top five, top three, maybe the number one pick in the 2022 Uh, NBA draft and he's old enough where he can make that happen if he reclassifies so I don't know if he'll go to college Uh, it seems like there are some pretty strong links to Kentucky but for me that's the number one guy on the list and it's not close
1: yeah I would I would look uh, to Columbus because I think that Dwayne Washington and EJ Liddell uh, what they end up doing is is huge for Ohio State and the Big Ten if those two are in the fold with the Buckeyes, Chris Holtman's team is a top 10 consensus team in the country, if not fifth or sixth uh, in college basketball entering next season. So I am keeping a close eye on Liddell and Washington. There's unfinished business. Ohio State got embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Got embarrassed by or- Oral Roberts. I mean, they, they just you can't lose that game. They had that game. They lost it. And now there's going to be pressure, and I think that those two, if they can come back, the Buckeyes could be a, a pick. Like they might be viewed as a dark horse nationally, but they shouldn't be. If those two are back, they should be viewed as a team that could make the Final Four. And it's time for them to do so in the Big Ten. Um, they were playing real well at the end of last season, if you remember. They almost, you know, they almost won the Big Ten title, and uh, but then they fell apart against Oral Roberts. They mm-hmm. lose that game. So I have, I'm have i keeping a, a real – a sharp eye on what Dwayne Washington and E.J. Liddell do because if they don't come back, Ohio State, they don't carry the same type of – if they do come back, we're talking about them as a team that could win it all in New Orleans next April.
2: Uh, I would just keep it more in the uh, Big Ten. Um, I think ha- if Hunter Dinkinson comes back to uh, – <laughs> To Michigan, it it puts Michigan in a great spot, and that'd be great for Juwan. I mean, he to to look at the Big Ten this season and look at how how good the Bigs were. Like having a guy like Hunter Dickinson literally helped Michigan claw through the entire season. It didn't matter who they played, whether it was Luca Gars or whether it was Travion Williams or in Purdue, whoever. It didn't matter. He literally took the challenge. And even when they lost um, a couple of their players toward the end of the year and it turned, like, at the end of the day, he, he kind of carried that team with his physicality, with his rebounding, with defensively changing shots and just being a, a massive guy down in the paint. And I feel like having that, that guy come back better, with better touch, a better player, I can't foresee Michigan not being good <laughs> or great, especially with the guys they have coming back.
0: Yeah, they have some really good freshmen coming in, too. Um, and they landed Devontae Jones, uh, the point guard, the transfer from um, from Coastal Carolina. Uh, it's Caleb Houston and Musa Diabate, I think is how you pronounce his name, that are the uh, the, the headliners of that um, that recruiting class. Staying in the Big Ten, uh, I, I think the other guy that you have to mention in this conversation is Trevion Williams. Right? Yes. He's kind of the guy that that. Purdue built their offense around this year. His passing ability, um, his ability on the block—like there were games that he just willed Purdue to a win, scoring out of the post. And and that doesn't really, that doesn't happen in college basketball, right? Like you don't win games by throwing the guy into a, the ball into the block and letting him go. But the one that specifically sticks out in my mind is—I think he had 27 in the second half as uh, Purdue came back from 17 down to beat Michigan State on the road. So he's a very, very big-time player. And if he's back and Jaden Ivey ends up taking the leap that a lot of us expect him to take, I think he averaged 18 over his last six games. He was really good in the tournament. If he takes the leap, you get Trevion Williams back. You got all these freshmen coming in from Purdue. Matt Painter is as good as anybody in college basketball at taking the pieces that he has and finding a way to turn them into a winning basketball team. And he's going to have some damn good pieces next season uh, if if Trevion
2: Williams is back. Go ahead, Dave. He played amazing toward the end of the season. I mean, like you were just mentioning him being able to, to find people. Like that was one of the first things I noticed. Like when you watch him play, like his, his feel for the game when he catches the ball and he's like basically quarterbacking from the post, like there's, there's not many bigs that, that are doing the things that Trevor was doing toward the end of the year. So. Yeah.
0: Fanta, you got another one?
1: Well, I think that the obvious one is Johnny Juzang at, at UCLA, because if, if he comes back uh, with, Jaime and and what the Bruins have coming in as well. We're talking about a team that could get back to the final four. I will go though to the big East. And I think that Julian Champagny's decision is big. Uh, His brother, Justin from Pitt going forward, going to the NBA. So what does Julian's, uh, what does Justin's twin Julian do? And for those thinking, well, come on, it's St. John's. I mean, like they, they, they're not a team that's, you know, that that really rings the the net. Na- Here's the thing, though. Posh Alexander is the real deal. He is the real deal. I mean, this kid, if you haven't seen him play yet, or you haven't watched a lot of Posh Alexander play for St. John's, he changed everything about that program last year. Julian Champagne's a guy, he can average 20 for you. I mean, he he's just a bucket. He's six foot eight, he shoots the three. So he has the makeup of a guy that, that has a a high ceiling. Does he forego another year of college? Look, it's, it's comes down to what he decides. I think he's leaning towards coming back to St. John's and if Champagny and Alexander, Alexander, we know is coming back. If Champagny comes back with him, I think St. John's is a top five team in the big East next season. Mm -hmm. If Champagny does not come back, St. John's is eight or nine in the Big East next season. That's how big of a difference Julian Champagny makes. And I think that Mike Anderson's team could be an NCAA tournament dark horse, uh, a team that could make it next year that people might not think at the start of the season would make it. They were coming on last year. They just stumbled a couple of times against teams they shouldn't have stumbled against. If Champagny's back, St. John's steals a bid that a Lenardi or a just doesn't have right now on their radar.
0: Yeah. They, they were also really young and getting a little bit more experience oh, is going to yeah. help, but I, I want to circle back to, to just mention Juzang again, because I think that if he is back and we know Chris Smith is is back to hundred percent from the torn ACL, I think I probably would have UCLA as the favorite to win the national title. I just think that that, that trio of Jaime Jaquez, Johnny Juzang and Chris Smith is as good of a a wing trio as you're going to find. Tiger Campbell has proven his ability to be a winner, to be able to control a game and to be able to facilitate. And Cody Riley is just, you know, he's one of these guys, you could dump the ball to on the block and he's going to make the right decision. So um, I, I would, I would really really expect UCLA to have a chance to win a national title with Juzang back without him. I think it changes a lot because I mean, look, we saw what he did in the tournament, right? Like I don't, you don't really need to elaborate on that. He's a bucket. He's a killer. So, I I mean, without him, UCLA is going to be really good. With him, I think we're talking about like potentially going, getting back to the final four, having a chance to really, uh, to, to win it all. The one, the other guy I wanted to mention was your guy, Deshaun, Miles McBride, because I was kind of expecting him to be someone that would seriously consider returning to school. I had a conversation the other day with someone about, you know, maybe he could be a guy that could sneak into like the top. 25 into the back end of the first round just because of his scoring ability his ability off the bounce what he really did down the stretch of the season so I'm curious I mean you watched him probably as close as anybody you know him better than either John or I do what do you think about him as a pro
2: he did it again Fanta I hit the button too beforehand. (laughs) it uh, it didn't press this is awesome I'm embarrassing myself no um I think he's a, a pro um when he first got there, like we talked about through on this show 100 times, um, I didn't think he was a natural point guard. Uh, he was a really good off guard, um, could shoot the ball in the mid-range really well and a pretty good defender, but he couldn't really pass the ball too well, and he didn't really extend the defense with his jump shooting. Came back this season, worked on all those things, and then showed everybody he could do those things, as well as just raising his scoring average even more. Um, I think he's a professional player in the NBA. I really do. Um, it's just a matter of if those teams feel that he can be the point guard they want him to be. I mean, it just it really it really falls on which team picks him. Because if you put the ball in his hands, I feel that like you can get something good. He can get anywhere he wants to as far as his own scoring ability. Um, he's a great scorer in the mid range. He's obviously showed his his three point shooting is is gotten better and his decision making has gotten better. He has some some lapses during the year with. With some of his decisions you're making, but for the most part, in comparison to his freshman year to this past year, it's not even close night and day. He's shown that he can be a really good point guard. I just wonder how he stacks up against the other point guards in in that top 25, you know. I would pick him because I know what kind of guy he is, but I just wonder what those teams see with when it comes to McBride, so.
1: Yeah, I think he's going to go in the draft. I do. I I would if I were him. His stock has risen. It looks like he's going to be a first-round pick. Um, Where that falls, we'll see. But if you you think, you know, we haven't even hit the combine yet, he's only going to help himself there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Deuce McBride is an NBA draft first-round pick. And here's the thing. If you think that and we all think that, the man go get paid. Yep. You you go forward, go into the draft, because there's no guarantees if you're a first-round pick next year. It's a really interesting case. Um, Deshaun just said it best of what would other teams think of him? And it's always hard to project that point guard type of player in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, do how much time are they getting? But I think Miles McBride fits the bill of today's NBA. What I like about him is: hey, everybody. The mid-range is back. The mid-range is back. The mid-range pull-up has come back like the Jersey Shore is revved up and open for business. (laughs) That's the way that the mid-range has come back to the NBA. Miles McBride has mid-range. He could stop on a dime, hit that shot. I like the way that he's evolved as a player. I think he gets selected this summer. It's unfortunate for Mountaineer fans. They'll be fine. Bob Huggins knows how to uh, harvest – and uh and,
2: and
0: you know you mentioned the mid-range I do think it's important to note that he shot 41.4 percent from three on almost four attempts per game um, he's a really good like off the dribble shooter he also his assist rate was double his turnover rate I thought that once West Virginia made the change uh once big she transferred out and they really kind of opened things up The reason why they became one of the most potent offenses in college basketball is because of Miles McBride's ability to kind of operate in that that spaced floor, his ability to kind of get in the lane and find people, right? Their offense was basically, let's put a bunch of shooters out there, let's put Miles McBride out there, and let Derek Culver clean everything up in the paint. And it worked really, really well for a long time for West Virginia. I do want to mention uh, four other people um, in the Big 12 before we get out of here. Uh, One of them is Remy Martin. Who is um, he? Transferred out of Arizona State, has committed to Kansas. He's still in the draft, although I, I would probably expect him to come back. I don't like Remy is. Uh, I don't think he's going to be drafted. I don't think he's a two way guy. His decision, in my mind, basically comes down to: Do I want to try to play overseas? Do I want to give it a shot at Kansas and on a more national stage? I think he'll be back. Uh, Jericho Sims at Texas is a guy that I think is kind of undervalued in the eyes of NBA draft folks. Um, he's just, I mean, he's so good defensively and such a great athlete. They can't really do anything other than catch and dunk. Uh, but in an era where finding people that can protect the rim and be switchable is really, really valuable. He's a guy that can provide a lot of that value. And the last two are at Baylor, uh, James Akinjo. I'm assuming he's going to be eligible, but he's one of these guys that's transferred twice. And so it's not exactly clear if he's going to be immediately eligible. As far as I know, the NCAA has not put down an official ruling on that. And then Matthew Meyer who uh, I I'm, I'm, I think he'll probably be back. He's the kind of guy that I can see having a huge, huge leap uh, and, and becoming like a top 20 pick if he comes back. If he leaves now, he'll probably be drafted. He'll probably be on a contract somewhere. But I just, I mean, when you're 6'9", and you can score the way that he can score, I think that he, he needs to come back, be the star of this team, show you're better defensively than you were last year. Boom, first-round pick. That's where I'm at with it. I like those last two.
1: I got two, uh, briefly, sticking in New Jersey, Rutgers, uh, Geo Baker, and Ron Harper. I mean, at the end of the day, those two players were part of the equation for Rutgers. Rutgers should have been in the Sweet 16. It is, it is a massive collapse that they had to Houston. Rutgers should have not lost that game. Uh, guess what? They did. Close only counts in horseshoes. Um, and, and for Harper and Baker, if they come back, Rutgers is a solid Big Ten team. If Harper and Baker do not come back, Rutgers is a doormat Big Ten team. Again, they're going to be at the bottom of the league or close to it anyway. So that's something I'm looking at too because we talk about the depth of the Big Ten. It was such a big strength for the league last year. If you have to factor Rutgers in there and you play them twice in the season, if you have to go to the rack and Harper and Baker are going, uh, Rutgers could, could hang their heads. What I always look at in college basketball is, for a conference who are those teams that sometimes are fringe tournament teams that end up stealing a big giving that league a unit and then having a chance in an eight nine seven ten game um you know potentially Rutgers if they have Harper and Baker back that could be uh, an interesting pair and I couldn't agree with you more on Matthew Meyer because uh he he I think he's a lot better than his numbers even show
2: honestly it's not even close like I'm not gonna say that they won because of him, but hit. You can watch. We watched his the last game they played. Man, he. You can't not guard him, and he's just so skilled that I mean, at that position, at the four or five, like there's nothing. Any, there was nothing anyone could do with him, regardless of where he was at. Like he, he's a talented dude. So, yep. All right. Well, listen,
0: it's been fun, guys. Great to catch up. It's, I know it's been about a month since we did these. We're gonna start getting into about a one every two weeks uh, series as we kind of get through um, the rest of the summer. You know, Fanta's got his uh, his Jersey Shore nights. We can't cut into any of that. We have to make sure that he's able to get out, experience the Jersey Shore. By the way, Day, I don't know if you caught that when he jumped on the call. Did you hear him say down the shore? I heard him. I heard him. Trust me, I heard him. I heard him. That is that's this dude is from Cleveland, and now he's saying down the any shore. Far. That's how you know he's full jersey right anymore for people that aren't from here jersey people say down the shore right and they also say i'm done dinner or i'm done at the gym they don't say done with right i'm done working out they don't say done with they they, they forgot the word with exists it drives me insane but it is what it is two
1: two things happy father's day to all the dads out there happy father's day to all the fathers out there Uh, hope hope that you dads get to enjoy a great barbecue we've actually had that debate a couple times if you could have any college basketball coach be a father-in-law uh to you like who who would be an okay father-in-law it's always a fun fun debate uh we we could talk for hours um and then my second thing is uh oh college basketball has its villain and that is one jeff goodman (laughs)
2: <laughs> Honestly, I will not argue with you on that. I've never seen so many people after Goodman. Neither will like, Bloomington. Neither
1: will Bloomington.
0: Everybody hates Jeff Goodman. That you know what? That should be the new name of our podcast.
1: Everybody <laughs> I,
2: hates Jeff Goodman. That should be the segment we have where we invite Goodman on the talk. He's like our next segment. Oh has- no, no, that's a great idea. We're gonna have a new segment. Everybody hates Jeff
0: Goodman, and we're gonna bring on a fan to explain why they hate Jeff Goodman.
1: I want to do a mean tweets. Like a, we should do, we should start doing mean tweets um, on the pod. Cause you could, you could really have some fun reading some of the comments. That we of course. <laughs> I,
0: I don't get any of the mean tweets anymore because I've blocked everybody. That's an idiot. So uh, uh-huh. that's where I'm at with it. But anyway, guys, always a good time. Subscribe, rate, review, like, do all of that stuff wherever you're listening to this, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Apple podcasts, whether it's Spotify, uh, give us some interactions. That's the best thing to be able to help grow this podcast if you enjoy this show. Phantom, Deshaun, until next time. What is, uh, what's the most embarrassing thing that you would admit publicly in the New York Times to just try to get your job back? And how much would you have to be making at that job to admit it? Because I mean, that, how much do you think he was making at CNN? Probably, probably six figures with a crooked number in front, right? Easily,
1: ease without question.
2: To blow that uh,
0: because so you would couldn't. you do it for two for 200k a year would you go into the new york times and admit that you started trying to jerk it while you were uh in the middle of a no! meeting you wouldn't if everybody i mean everybody already knew right I mean, it's not like it was a secret everyone already knew
1: yeah I'm i mean okay.
2: after the fact of doing it i kind of feel like i would just hide out for a while just a little downtime wouldn't hurt hurt, hurt me
1: <laughs> i yes, probably,
2: man, look, man. I'd, I'd probably admit it man like whatever you have, you have no choice to admit it i mean it happened like you, you said get your job back you gotta get your job back yeah i know but money sometime you don't need to go on air to fully expose yourself again no. <laughs> just keep
0: exposing well, yourself for, first,
2: first and foremost what i would do is i would ma- always make sure
0: that that little green light is off
2: Thanks, <laughs> so <laughs>